Hello and welcome to Leading with Purpose. My name is Dennis Morton, founder and principal of Morton Brown Family Wealth. I'm a certified financial planner, veteran, and student of leadership. And this podcast is a mastermind group for our community where I talk to industry leaders and thinkers to tease out how they think, make decisions, and lead in a place as unique as the Lehigh Valley. Today, we're focused on a word that will dictate how we live our lives in the months to come, safety. For those in leadership positions during the current pandemic, we're going to be responsible for both creating a safe environment, but also conveying confidence in that safety to our teams, our customers, and our community. My guest today is Tom Stout, Executive Director of the Lehigh Northampton Airport Authority. Tom knows all about growing an organization where safety is and always has been paramount. And in our conversation, we're going to explore Tom's mission in leading airports and also how the aviation industry plans to navigate the reopening of the economy in 2020. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? I'm great, Dennis. My pleasure to be here. Thanks. So I'm going to start with a a bio of of Tom. So as we mentioned, Tom is the executive director for the Lehigh-Northampton Airport Authority, which owns and operates a three-airport system, which includes Lehigh Valley International Airport. So it's a $33 million revenue organization, and they're in the midst of a $41 million capital improvement program. So Tom's been in the airport management business for 23 years. Uh, He has served as a liaison to federal and state aviation operations like the Department of Transportation, the Federal Aviation Administration, the Transportation Security Administration. He has a bachelor in science from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And for the last couple of years, Tom has been you know, really helping to navigate the precursor conditions of you know, what a regional airport in a growing economy can do, and now is going to be responsible for, for leading that organization after COVID-19 and what it looks like there. So, um, Tom, maybe we start here. Tell us about the airport authority, your mission, and how things were going for you leading up to 2020. <laughs> So uh, 2019 was probably one of the uh, most amazing years we've had at the airport authority in in the time that I've been there. And uh, when you look at 2019, it also coincided with our 90th anniversary for Lehigh Valley International Airport. So we were celebrating 90 years in the community, you know, one of the few airports in the country that's still in its original location operating. And so just, you know, a lot of pride. We saw just a banner year, a 15% increase in, in traffic uh, year over year after, after a 14% increase the year prior. So things were looking up. Um, we were we were really excited. Legion Air had announced that they were bringing their 18th base in the country to the Lehigh Valley. So, you know, roughly uh, almost 70 high-paying jobs. You know, we're talking about aircraft mechanics, pilots. Uh, so, you know, a lot of things all trending in the right direction. Uh, finances were good. So we were we were really excited as we closed out 2019 and really looking forward to just an amazing 2020. So Tom, the Lehigh Valley economy has grown a lot over the last 10 to 15 years. The dynamics of the economy have changed. Tell us about the role that the airport has played in the evolution of the Lehigh Valley economy. You know, the airport 
from my perspective, and okay, maybe I'm a little biased here, but you know, if you talk to any community, you know, the underpinning of a good economy in a region really circles back to the airport, and in many cases, and when you have a vibrant airport, you have a vibrant community, and the airport can provide that necessary link for travel, not just for passengers, but for goods, and certainly uh, all of the logistics. Uh, business that is moving through and uh, that's so critical, certainly for us right now, has always been an underpinning for us. And so I think, you know, that's really what's so so critical about having uh, links to the National Air Transportation Network and having that in our own backyard here in the Lehigh Valley is truly an asset for our region. So tell tell me about your background and how you arrived in this in this role. Your training is on the maintenance side of aviation. How, describe your leadership arc and how you arrived into the executive director role. Sure. So uh, correct. I, I initially had uh, received training and uh, was very interested all my life in uh, how things work. And so I, I received some training, got certified. And became, you know, an aircraft uh, mechanic, so an airframe and power plant mechanic, as we say in the industry. And, um, you know, that's always been kind of my starting point in aviation. From there, I really moved on to getting a degree in aviation management. And that really is what brought me back to airports. You know, for me, I had a lot of uh, interest initially in life to, to be a mechanic and work for an airline. You know, it was, it was really fascinating to me once I started to uh, really learn about the complexities of operating an airport and everything that went into uh, keeping that running. It was almost, uh, you know, basically a small city within itself. That was really intriguing and I, something that I became really passionate about. And when I graduated, I was basically uh, able to start my career uh, back in the Lehigh Valley. I did it. Um, working uh, ground handling aircraft, so working on our our apron and uh, our as we refer to the aircraft apron, parking apron around the terminal, working for an airline, a lot of the uh, loading of baggage and de-icing and everything else that goes along with uh, ground handling. So really love being around airplanes, but having an opportunity, I've had uh, opportunities during college to do internships um, and uh, with airports and airport management. So I was really excited when an opportunity came up at the authority and I started uh, started there in 95 and really worked through different departments there. I had uh, really a focus in the planning and engineering group for a while, also moved on to our operations and safety group prior to uh, stepping into the executive director position in 2017. Really spent a lot of time understanding how airports are planned. Um, and again, no matter, I think the underlying theme here is no matter where I spent time in aviation, whether it was in education, learning to be an aircraft mechanic or planning airports or in operations and safety, everything circles back to safety. Uh, that's mm -hmm. really uh, the root for anyone who spent time in aviation. They understand what uh, inherently a safe system it is in spite of the complexities. And uh, there's a reason for that. And that's really because of design by design where we're engineering safety into the system. I think it's so interesting in the, in the airport world that 
you know, if, if safety is your is your priority, but you know, at some point the planes need to leave the tarmac. That it's a it's this unnatural act of of taking metal objects with people and cargo in them and lifting them off the ground. So there's you know, the safest thing would be to leave the planes on here, but you have to accomplish the mission of moving them in and moving them out, and uh, that that's a daily fact of life. So how in, in a given day, from your position overseeing airports? What are the greatest challenges that you face in normal times? So certainly uh, some of the greatest challenges we have um, go back to safety. Uh, and I think basically you're, you're talking about a very infrastructure intensive environment. Just ABE, the inside our fence line is about 1,000 acres. And when you think of all of the, you know, the terminal complex, the hangars, the roadways, we have um, over 180 acres of pavement. When I think about what has to take place in order to enable aircraft to take off and land safely, you know, certainly the most critical component of flight, well-documented, that that's really where we're, we're focused. Um, we're not only worried about managing the hard facilities, but what's happening around us uh, when we think of construction activity, uh, new buildings, cranes, and all those types of things, in addition to what's happening with uh, things that people might not, you know, really, really contemplate, which, you know, include, you know, stormwater and wildlife. Mm -hmm. So attractiveness to wildlife, growing crops around the area, um, you know, what does that do to bring, to bring wildlife into the area? So we have a wildlife biologist on staff. We manage our habitat. You know, when you think about all of the different facets that go into making sure there's a safe environment, it's a really, really long list. You know, we, we don't have uh, fire hydrants uh, near the runway, right? But we do have to provide very expedient service and very rapid moving fire trucks carrying their own water to the scene. When we do snow removal, we actually perform friction tests on the runway pavement after, you know, basically report information about how the runway is performing. So, you know, it really is, you know, somewhat of an art, but a, a lot of science in there in terms of how we ensure safety of the system. That's, that's really uh, the big focus for us is maintaining those facilities so that they're providing um, you know, a safe environment for everybody to travel outside of COVID before we're even thinking about uh, what's happening uh, today. I love that analogy that you made of, of it being a small city. Absolutely. Because you, you can't have this siloed mentality that, that you're operating in isolation. And you, I think it's fascinating. You bring in the integration of, of wildlife, stormwater, just, you know, what exists outside of those fences that you, that you have to take into account when there are planes moving in and out every day and people moving in and out every day. Right. Um, that, that, that city mentality. What are the key roles that you have of, you, of your deputies, of, of the people who are making critical decisions uh, at the airport every day, what are the key roles that that report to you? Yeah, we have we have a number a number of uh, of directors, fantastic, very talented team of directors. Um, on the safety theme, we have a director of operations and safety. The uh, individual that uh, serves in that capacity had uh, worked underneath me as I as I was in the um, director's position for operations and safety for a number of years there. And so that's obviously a very critical role, really encompasses our, our police department, our fire department, um, our operations group, which is a very specific 
uh, group for airports, an operations team is actually what we typically think of for business operations, but it's actually more of a compliance group. Airports, as you can imagine, are extremely well regulated by our uh, different number of federal agencies. And so there's a number of daily, weekly, quarterly, uh, monthly inspections that on a very um, stringent basis. So that group is very responsible for documentation, ensuring that the the airfield, the airport and its facilities are are up to par. The, uh, The maintenance department is in that group as well. And they're also charged with uh, maintaining the facilities and, and dealing with any discrepancies found during inspection. So we have we have kind of that operations and safety component. We have a director of business development, uh, marketing, advertising, our properties, uh, certainly over 130 based aircraft at ABE. And so we're talking about managing all of those different tenants, a lot of uh, rules and regulations for compliance, and again, safety underpinning there so that we're making sure we're we're able to uh, ensure safety for everyone, including our tenants. I think uh, also, you know, our director of finance and administration in that department uh, rolls up and uh, really a resource group, certainly making sure that we have the resources, right, to accomplish the mission here. Uh, we also provide commercial services and our and our commercial services division actually provides all of the ticket counter agents and the ground handling agents for Allegiant. So when you're flying at ABE on Allegiant, you're actually um, being cared for by airport authority staff who are uh, working exclusively for Allegiant. So we also, you know, provide aircraft fueling services. As you can imagine, that's uh, a very critical and another very safety focused uh, job. We also have, you know, as I mentioned earlier, sort of our planning and programming group and really looking at capital projects again, making sure we've got uh, a safe environment. We have um, our, our government and public relations, certainly a very important group making sure that community understands what uh, what options are available right here at, at the airport and anything we can do to be integrated into our, our region is, is really important. And certainly uh, our IT department, as you can imagine, a lot of infrastructure, digital and otherwise, a lot of communications that we're, we're working through there. So, uh, you know, certainly a number of, uh, of directors that are responsible for a number of divisions at our organization to keep everything running smoothly and safely. Right. How does your background in maintenance specifically uh, impact your approach to problem solving? Hmm. That's a great question. And, you know, one of the things that um, certainly was instilled in us in that training, but uh, was something that I learned uh, even, even from you know, family members was being vigilant. There's really something to be said to walking through the details and making sure you're tracking information, getting information. And I think that's something that sticks with me to this day as we work through problems. And every day there's different problems, different issues. And that's always something I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed the challenge of uh, different problems and, and different issues. And being able to uh, work through those with, you know, again, coming back to data, being vigilant about uh, getting the information so that we can make really good decisions and informed decisions. 
And, you know, I think that's something that I've also been aware of is beyond that kind of vigilance in our process is that it is a process, but it's a process with a team in place. Um, when I think about, uh, you know, an aircraft mechanic, you know, it's there's a number of steps in a process and many times a repair is signed off by an inspector. So it's not, uh, it's not that someone's working in a silo or individually here. We're all working through a standard process or set of procedures so that regardless of who's on shift and who's working through a problem, we all have that same focus and mentality. And I think that's something that's carried with me into, you know, kind of a leadership capacity as well. I like that you pulled the, the word vigilant forward. We, we've been thinking a lot in our industry for people who are concerned about their finances or concerned about their jobs and, and what the future may hold. What, what are the constructive things that you can do right now? And to hear someone with a background in in aircraft maintenance saying the first step is to be vigilant about the risks, vigilant about the the steps that you take to mitigate those risks. That vigilance is an awareness. It's a it's a state of mind and presence. And you can't control those outside conditions, but you can be vigilant about monitoring the risks. I think that's an important insight. Absolutely, and I think particularly in this environment. It's easy to um, get distracted because we're on information overload. And one of the things I wanted to do early on with the team was narrow our focus. There were so many things moving. We wanted to really come back to the goal of safety for airport workers and the public. What does that mean? And let's focus on kind of the top four or five things we need to really deal with today, right now. There's a number of, always a number of other things moving, and we're obviously uh, not losing our uh, focus on those, but it's really kind of narrowing our focus when there's so much of this going on, particularly in a crisis, that we want to we want to make sure we're focusing on the most critical elements. And uh, like I said, in, a, in, in an emergency like this, it's easy to uh, sort of get lost in, and we want to make sure that uh, we, we kind of slow down a little bit and focus. One side of safety is creating a safe environment. So this, this plane is, is ready to fly. This you know, airport is, is ready to function at, at its full capacity. But then there's the communication of safety. You know, we talk about the risk as we're about to start opening up at least the Pennsylvania economy. And, you know, aviation is going to be at the crux of that with with travel and tourism and questions about how that's done safely. It's one thing to open the doors and say, it's safe. It's another thing for the public to feel safe in walking in the door. How have you communicated a safe environment to your team now? And how do you anticipate the aviation industry will communicate safety out to the public? Absolutely. And yeah, and communication here is key. And that's one of the things that uh, we've been really focusing on. If anything, it's probably over communicating. And uh, certainly within our executive staff, you know, we've had daily calls uh, every morning, you know, we're talking and just ensuring that we're having open dialogue, uh, making sure that individuals are providing external and internal looks, what they're, what they're seeing out there in terms of information external to the organization, but also what's happening internally and other information. So communication is key and then making sure that that rolls down but also rolls back up because, again, uh, the way we get information is working collaboratively with teams in our department. So 
Uh, as we are aware of issues or problems, those can flow back up. Uh, we have people solving those every day, right, on, on the front line, but there are certain things that have to move back up to the executive team. And so we're, we're cognizant of that and we want to be able to be uh, responsive to any issues or concerns that we're seeing in the airport. But then beyond that, we want to let the public know the steps that we've taken. Because again, a lot of people have a lot of questions about what safe travel looks like and, and how that's going to work. And we can certainly speak to what we've done at ABE to make sure that not only our airport workers are safe, but the public is safe and that the community can feel comfortable coming into the facility as we move forward. So communicating out to them uh, via, again, all of our digital communication channels is important. And we continue to focus on that right now with different e-blast newsletters and as well as information, of course, on our website. So there's, there's a number of channels that people can find to, uh, to look to what we've been up to uh, while uh, the stay-at-home order's been in place. You talked about looking forward to 2020 coming off of a strong 2019. Did you have goals in place for the year? If, if so, how have they changed with the circumstances of, of COVID-19? Sure. I think our, our number one goal was we were pretty confident uh, we were going to hit 1 million passengers at ABE for the first time since 2004. And uh, every indicator was showing us that right through February. So the goals have changed dramatically. We had really weathered some challenges uh, over the years. And I would say in the last five years, we really had some financial challenges as an organization. And having weathered those and come through that, uh, we were excited, as you mentioned, our capital program, we were very excited about a number of projects. And as, you, as I mentioned, you know, airports are very infrastructure intensive. So constant maintenance and, and upkeep is critical. And so we were, we were looking forward to getting to a lot of projects um, and some of those have been deferred. But uh, interestingly, you know, there's a number of those projects that continue to move forward. And I think some of those goals um, haven't changed. So projects like the rehabilitation of our primary runway at ABE continues. Uh, we're, we're continuing to design for a future terminal connector and security checkpoint. And that continues. But I think from my perspective, what's changed is as we're staring at the facilities now, we've, we've reshuffled priorities and uh, maybe in some cases diminished projects in terms of their scope, or we've moved them into further out years and uh, really focused now on what we can do to provide a more contactless travel experience and see if, you know, there's a way that we can minimize touch points through the terminal and help make sure that people have confidence in the touch points that we do have. And so that's, I think, that'd be an important element for facilities, public facilities, as we, as we move into the new normal. Through this crisis, is there a particular skill that you have that, that has proven to be valuable? Yeah, I think... <laughs> persistence um, is one of the things that, you know, has always served me well. You know, many times I, I attribute successes that I've had, not, uh, not because I don't fail or, or uh, make mistakes. It's, it's more about um, not giving up. 
that's really one of the one of the things for me that served served me well is being persistent. Um, having humility is is uh, another potential powerful tool there. I think not being afraid to ask for help or accepting it when it's offered. I think that's important. We all make mistakes and and kind of work through that. And we have such a a supportive team. You know, that's important. We want to make sure that that people, you know, are are there to support each other and um, validate each other. Because right now there's a lot of certainly a lot of stress for folks and it's easy to be distracted. So how do we how do we take care of each other? And that that was going to be my next question on the humility side is, are there things where you say this has highlighted a skill that either I need to develop or I need to surround myself with somebody who has this ability because this is going to be part of our new normal? Right. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's about building building good teams, really diverse teams. And I think we've over the last number of years, we've worked hard to put together really great teams. And when I think about, you know, having these qualities, you know, when I look across our team, we have a very diverse group in terms of their perspectives, you know, and I think for us, it's being able to embrace the different talents of different team members. And certainly I'm not the smartest of the group and um, not the smartest at everything that we have to deal with. But if we can bring those people in to really weigh in on this, it's really a collaborative process. And, you know, I've never viewed some of the styles that are more autocratic where we're solving everything from the top down. I don't think that's where innovation comes from. It comes from getting everyone else's perspective towards the common vision. And that's that's where I think we've been really blessed is to have a great team. Again, not, not by accident, but by building that in advance. And uh, had we had to face this pandemic and the dizzying array of challenges that we've had right now and uh, didn't have that team in place, we'd be uh, certainly extremely challenged right now to be able to adapt. Coming back to thinking about the, the long-term you know, potential of the airport authority. What do you think is the real opportunity for a regional airport to succeed coming out of this? Absolutely. So I actually think that airports like ABE, some of the the regional facilities might be in um, slightly better positions as people look to begin to get back to normal. Uh, all of these different elements are still going to be part of um, what we're contending with. Uh, Social distancing, face masks, washing your hands, hand sanitizer, and still the the large gatherings are going to be still questionable for folks. And and I think when you think of an airport like ABE, you've got a smaller facility, smaller number of people moving through, and I think you're going to from my perspective, have travelers who might be more willing to go to a smaller regional airport to fly than a larger hub where they might be one of a much greater number of people moving through a facility and uh, maybe there'd be some more concern about potential transmission of virus in a larger crowd. So I think small airports certainly have the potential to begin to recover uh, maybe a little bit ahead of their larger counterparts, but it's still going to be a, certainly a long process. I think there's going to be some pent up demand for air travel for sure. We actually saw that over Memorial Day weekend 
which is typically not a, a busy travel, uh, air travel holiday for us. But uh, we, we, we jumped up to a 700 uh, passengers moving through our screening checkpoint. And typical day for us before the pandemic was around 15 to 1600. So we jumped up to that level tells me that there's demand there, that people are certainly still confident and comfortable in what we've done to the facility. And I think in small airports, regional airports are going to be able to be in a better position to demonstrate that safety. Who do you benchmark? Do you, do you take you know, lessons from larger airport facilities and try and apply them into a regional airport like Lehigh Valley? Do you look at other regional airports? How, how do you measure your success? It's it's certainly a very good question. One of the things, there's a saying in our industry, uh, when you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. <laughs> it goes back to the fact that every airport is operated, uh, potentially owned and operated in a very unique way. Certainly the dynamics of a region play into what sorts of air service might be available, whether there's cargo activity, is the airport city run, county run, authority run. Is it part of an airport system or does it stand alone? Is it a large mega hub or a very small regional airport? You know, there's so many different flavors of airports. And I think that's why it's difficult in some cases to benchmark. But I think what we do is we we certainly work with our peers and that's really been important. We, we have organizations that we're members of, I'm members of, um, and, our, and our teams are members of, and things like Airports Council International, uh, also American Association of Airport Executives, and a lot of good information sharing within those networks between our peers across the country. And I think that's one of the things that's been uh, enjoyable about the business is it's a small community of people. Uh, people tend to that tend to get into aviation don't tend to go straight too far from it. So you tend to see the same people just moving and maybe maybe changing positions or changing organizations, but moving around the industry. And so you you maintain some good contacts. And um, I think that's really where we we benchmark in those areas is by understanding what our peers are doing and in some cases what a large hub does may make sense for a regional airport, or it may not. But I think it really is a one-size-fits-one. In this case, we have to, again, evaluate. It goes back to being vigilant about looking at the data. Does it make sense in our case? And so we can look at some organizations that operate similar to us within an airport system in a regional context. But again, based on the fact that they're a different part of the country, they're going to have a, a very different business model. You brought up two concepts. My team and I selected words to define 2020, and two of those words were focus, which you described before about having that kind of narrowed focus to the four or five things to avoid distraction. Another word that we chose was collaborate, and that idea of being able to to reach out and find those people who are thinking through the same challenges you are and creating that collaborative environment. Uh, I love that especially when you are, there, there aren't other airports to your right and left here in the Lehigh Valley. You have to reach out to find other people in other places. Interesting to hear that that's, that's an important component of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. If your team had to describe your leadership style, what would they say? Uh, wow. Um, that's a great question. So I certainly have a reputation for 
being a detail-oriented person, as I mentioned from my background. But you know, I would I would hope that uh, they would indicate my style was uh, very democratic. I like to be very participative in my process, so that. I'm able to give guidance and feedback, but but having team members really taking an active role here uh, is important. And I think one of the greatest communication skills took me a while to learn is um, listening. And so I think, you know, certainly um, it's important to be able to listen, to hear it and, and absorb what people are talking about and, and understand where people are at. And and, you know, I think it's it's people-focused for me. I, I think you might hear people describe me as being a little bit more people-centric in terms of my style. I believe I believe that's what you'd hear. It sounds like from what you described in that small city with all of these very different roles and responsibilities reporting to you, presuming that there are other people who have more information than you do, it seems like a, a fact of life. Absolutely. That you have to trust that, that there are those who are going to know their sphere of influence and, and the trust has to go both ways. <laughs> it absolutely does. And, you know, talk about being tough for a detail person to let go of the details. Sure. But, uh, that's certainly something I had to learn over the course of my time there is that um, I have to be able to let go of the details because we've, we've built trust into your point in both directions. We've built it within the team. So I know that um, I, can, I can step back and, and I absolutely trust that uh, we've got uh, everything in, in control. And we're talking about the things that, uh, that really are going to be important uh, for the executive team. Gosh, that's, a, that's another area where our, our spheres overlap. Just that, you know, if you wanted to get bogged down in the details of, of finance and money, there's a ticker symbol every minute of every day showing you, you know, more information than, than is really worthwhile. And you have to detach yourself from that constant flow yeah. and say, what are the things that are, that are material to my circumstances? What does my team need to know? What does my family need to know? All those things. But, but it's hard because the pressures are, are constant to, to see all the information all the time. It is. And I, I, can't, I can't say that, you know, I still don't peek at uh, inspection reports and things from time to time, more, more so for curiosity. Right. <laughs> but uh, and again, I'm always amazed at the, at the job our tremendous team does. So um, it's, again, a lot of the stuff is more for my own intellectual curiosity, really just fun for me to be able to see how processes evolve, how we continue to do great things. And, and going back to that diverse collaborative approach, you know, two heads better than one. We, we really end up with you know, some fantastic innovation happening at a very small facility uh, just because of, uh, I think, the culture within our our organization. Before we get into a couple of last points here, I just I think our audience would be curious to know your take on what the aviation experience is going to look and feel like mm. um, a year from now. And, and it's I know there's there's so many variables involved, but if, if you could envision how it works under the new conditions, what would you say? Sure, sure. Well, I think for one, it's it's going to be different, right? The days of hey, let me uh, let me grab an Uber, jump in, race over to the airport, stand in a long line, battle to get my uh, to get down the tip bridge and and stuff my my bag in the bin overhead. Um, probably going to be a little different for a while, even even for a year from now. 
And so I think what what we're all hearing, what we're all focused on right now is, again, that, that sort of contactless experience. Just last week, the TSA announced some changes to suit to their security procedures that will go into effect mid-June. And a lot of that circles back to, hey, to the extent that you can uh, download the app for your airline, get that uh, boarding pass right there on your phone. You hold your phone, you scan it when you uh, move through the security, uh, put all your items in your bag. I think what we're going to experience is the continued social distancing, the spacing in airports as we move through facilities. I think you're also going to see integration of more contactless, as I pointed out, touchless areas. But I also think the areas that are going to be touch points, we're going to see innovation on. I think it's uh, United's already moving some of their uh, touchscreen displays to more of a scan and go sort of thing after uh, on a QR code on your phone. So that we're, we're getting to a point where we're going to be more and more contactless. And even in terms of boarding, how we're boarding the aircraft and spaced um, in that environment, food and beverage service is going to be a lot different on board. And uh, a lot of things maybe uh, won't be handed out in some airlines. Other airlines might be a little prepackaged bag of, of a snack and maybe a mask and some sanitizer. And that's, that's certainly going to be part of the new normal. That's not going to go away, the, uh, the requirement for masks for some time. And certainly uh, until medical sciences are able to come up with either a cure for us or uh, certainly a treatment, I think we're going to be looking at this new normal for, for a while. And I, you know, the other thing, I, I, you know, just to, to dovetail off of that, it's back in 2015-16 timeframe, we had a, an Ebola mm-hmm. outbreak, and certainly we were faced with uh, preventative measures, and some, certainly as airports in the country, we were looking at how that response was going to work. And I think the message for me, what we're taking away is we're going to be in this for the long haul, and this is not something that goes away when COVID goes away. There's always the potential for another uh, biological pathogen. And we want to be in a position where uh, certainly we're providing as safe an environment as we possibly can for workers and for the public. And the air carriers are in the same place. Uh, I think even turn times to get an aircraft unloaded and and certainly get people in plane back onto the aircraft um, as it moves through an airport, you know, disinfecting procedures in between flights may slow down some of those quick turns that we were used to seeing. So all of those, all of those processes are going to be carried forward, um, I think, for quite some time. And uh, it's going to take time for us to, to move beyond this. And I, we're talking years, not months. Thank you for that. Now, as far as uh, you mentioned, you're, you're a podcast guy. You, I'm sure your podcast time might be a little bit more limited now. What have you been listening to or what are some of your favorite sources? Absolutely. So there's there's a number of, of great podcasts out there. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Leading with Purpose. That's a fantastic one. I follow that one. <laughs> uh, but in addition, there's uh, there's certainly podcasts I listen to from uh, Simon Sinek. He's he's a guy I enjoy listening to. You know, what's funny is I actually enjoy um, listening to folks. People like Zig Ziglar, uh, folks who haven't been around for a little while yet uh they, okay you know yeah. and sort of kind of going back and 
back in history. Um, because one, one thing that's always funny to me is how history repeats itself. And we keep comparing um, this pandemic to the 1918 Spanish flu, right? Right. And the lessons learned there. And so kind of what is old is new again for us here in COVID. And that's why I, I don't dismiss some of the, the great uh, teachers and speakers and orators of our day. And even in days past, because of um, the message is still relevant. Mm-hmm. And so I listen to messages from a lot of great leadership gurus, managing gurus. Um, you can find a lot of good uh, reads from, from Drucker and, uh, and others. So, you know, I, I continue to uh, go with some of the, the tested uh, information. And I just find it so relevant when I listen to some of this stuff, it feels as if I could be listening to a message they created today. It's so fitting. So don't dismiss some of the archival stuff, even though there's some really great new stuff um, out there as well. I love that idea of going back to the classics. You know, some of those things, We, my wife and I used to listen to some of Jim Rohn's old, um, you know, audio. I love Jim Rohn. Yeah, it just, and you're right. It, there's a timelessness to it. We even talked about one of the books that was really formative for us is um, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Just that, that idea of an abundance mentality. Yeah. But that book's 100, 100 years old. And it's, but the principles are just so worth going back to, especially now. Right. Because it's another thing that filters out some of the, the novelty and, and new noise and comes back to some of the basics. So maybe we can, in the show notes, we can link to some of those, some of those classics. Maybe I'll touch base with you and see if there are some particular sources we can pull forward. I think that's a great idea of going back to the, the fundamentals there. Sure. Awesome. So out, outside of work, what keeps you busy? What's, what's your, what's your stress reliever during pandemic time? <laughs> Did I mention I'm a mechanic? Um, so. <laughs> So what I actually enjoy is working with my my hands. And so one of the things that I've been really good at doing, been really uh, innovative with, is uh, probably to my wife's dismay, is coming up with projects at the home and working on different things in the workshop, uh, different projects around the house. You know, I think that's what actually, in many cases, provides uh, clarity of thought for me because it's when I can get into a quiet place. And although I guess using tools isn't always quiet, it quiets my mind when I'm working with my hands and fixing or problem solving. And sometimes in those moments, I'll come up with an idea or a thought unrelated. And um, it's something that uh, I can take back with me to work or to my role. And I think, gosh, this is a great idea. And so we can kind of bounce things around that way. But that's, it may sound like uh, it's work as a way to relax, but um, it's actually very cathartic for me. I, I think that's, it's such an important realization because you're, in, in your business, it doesn't stop. Every day, the airport is going to run around the clock. Planes are coming in, planes are going out. Right. It never <laughs> ceases. I think having those projects where you can reach a sense of completion is really important mentally to say, Absolutely. I started this, I finished this, this is fixed, repaired, whatever it may be. I think that's a lot of why you'll see leaders through history, whether it's, you know, Winston Churchill taking a painting or, or some of these other um, projects or woodworking is another popular one, just things that have hmm. completion to them yeah. because it, it, it's, there's something that's nourishing about that. Absolutely. And that, that definitely uh, connects well for me. Fantastic. 
Tom, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining us and, and lending a perspective that, frankly, I had never heard to talk about aviation. And um, it's especially timely now as you guys are going to be navigating some unique challenges over the coming months. If people wanted to know more about the Airport Authority or um, reach out to you directly, how can they find you? Absolutely. So uh, certainly you can check us out online, flyabe.com. And that's a great resource. You can find uh, links there specific to some of our COVID-related information for people looking to do some travel as we begin to open up uh, in our region here. And uh, so I think that's a great resource. Certainly, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or, or Facebook, but um, to, to encourage folks to check us out on social media as well. Our, our Twitter is a great source of information for us as well. So, so please do that. Certainly. Uh, great talking with you as well, and and uh, really appreciate the time today to to talk more about uh, leadership and and the great things that uh, that we're all working towards. Tom, thanks for your perspective today, and uh, for all of our listeners, we appreciate you guys checking out ABE and the Lehigh Northampton Airport Authority. Tom Stout, uh, thanks a lot, and hope everyone has a great day. Thanks, Dennis. Be safe. Morton Brown Family Wealth is an SEC registered investment advisor. More information is available at our website, www.mortonbrownfw.com.